This is an original branded podcast from GTM Creative Strategies. The grid of the future lies 850 miles off the coast of Portugal on a group of islands known as the Azores. The northernmost island is called Graciosa. It means graceful in English. The island has just under 5,000 residents who live among vineyards, wheat fields, fisheries, and lush mountains that connect with turquoise North Atlantic waters. Yeah, exactly. It's very peaceful, very green, so everything is pretty relaxed. It's definitely a, a calm place and a good place to live. Duarte Silva is an engineer who lives there. He oversees the island's power system. He was born in Graciosa, so he knows all about the beauty of island life. But he also knows about the difficulties, in particular, the reliance on expensive imported diesel, over 3 million liters per year for Graciosa. There is for sure a big burden on the, on the government of the Azores. There is definitely a huge cost. The island has always been dependent on fossil fuels, but in 2018, that changed. That's when a group of developers kicked off a hybrid wind-solar battery storage power plant to slash diesel consumption. The plant consists of 1 megawatt of solar, 4.5 megawatts of wind, and a 7.4 megawatt, 3.2 megawatt hour energy storage system. The guys behind these really had a great vision. Duarte got involved with the project back in 2015, when he was hired as a site engineer. As construction of the wind and solar started, he believed in the vision of a mostly renewable Graciosa. But there were doubts, too. One, one thing I realized when I first joined this project is that there was a lot of of suspicion about the a successful completion. Uh, and, and now the, the, the results we, we are seeing, the numbers we are obtaining, they don't lie. The numbers Duarte is referring to are stark. In 2020, there were 128 days when the island was entirely powered by renewable energy. And the diesel power station often just sits quiet. Graciosa is saving 190,000 liters of diesel fuel per month. But when the project was first energized in 2019, Duarte wasn't entirely sure what to expect. So were you worried at all when you first got up and running and turned everything on? A little bit, yes, a little bit. I think, I think we all were. As the hybrid plant was switched on, Duarte and his team huddled behind a laptop watching performance. Wind speeds picked up. And in a very short period of time, the entire island was being powered by 100% renewable electricity. I recall that a few min min minutes later, we moved to the, to the diesel power station. And uh, when we looked at the, um, the face of the operator, so we had been working there for, for more than 30 years. And that experience of having no diesel engines running, no noise at all, so... Well, it was very weird, and at the same time, like, we all felt, okay, I think we achieved the mission here. Everything was stable. The diesel wasn't needed. And so after a while, Duarte looked at his colleagues and said, I think the job is done for today. And the EDA uh, engineers looked at us, and they said, what? But are you leaving now? What if, what, what if the battery, something wrong happens? What if they started like, what if, what if? And we were like, oh, just <laughs> be relaxed and let's trust on the system. Uh, but I remember very well that they were a little bit afraid that we were leaving the plant. But nothing bad happened. Ever since the island has been mostly served by wind and solar, yearly use of renewables has jumped from 15% to 65%. The reason for the stress-free integration, a piece of control software installed by Verzilla. It's called GEMS. 
It uses machine learning to balance the renewables and storage on Graciosa's grid with inputs from meters, heating and cooling systems, and weather forecasts. It's a state-of-the-art virtual control room that Duart can monitor from anywhere in the world. It's called an energy management system, or EMS. The, 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 the whole EMS is a very powerful uh, tool. It's impossible for, for a person, for, for an operator, to make decisions when you have to count on many different factors and when you have to also predict what's going to happen in future. I think this is beyond the human being uh, capabilities. <laughs> Today, the diesel plant at Graciosa acts more like a backup system. Fossil fuel use has been slashed from 100% of electricity production down to 35%. Reliability is better than ever. And now other islands in the Azores are looking to Graciosa as a way to build their own renewable grids. I think this project really created a window of opportunity to develop the remaining islands of the Azores with similar technologies. One of the technical minds behind the Graciosa Energy Management System is a guy named Luke Whitmer. Luke is a data scientist who manages research and development for Vertzilla's energy dispatch systems. I came to Vertzilla through acquisition. The company that uh, Vertzilla acquired was Greensmith Energy, which was a startup company focused on battery systems and advanced controls for battery systems. Long before getting his PhD in energy engineering, Luke lived in Africa. He lived in Congo for 11 years and then later in Kenya through high school. From an early age, Luke was acutely aware of the value of energy. His home in Congo had a gas generator plus a small solar system with truck batteries. And when he was six years old, the local power plant failed, cutting off grid power to the entire city of Bunia. So growing up in that context where electricity is a scarce resource, I think we all take for granted that we can just hit the light switch and the lights come on. And I... Uh, that context really shaped my perspective on what um, access to electricity actually does for you. Today, he's leading a data science group at Vertilla, developing tools to automate high renewable energy grids and hybrid power plants. We sat down with Luke to talk about how he views the future of grid automation, both for island grids like Graciosa and large regional markets around the world. Every electricity grid in the world has a dispatch scheme. So there's people who are tasked with turning on and off power plants at the optimal best times. And when you don't have a lot of renewables, it's easy because people don't change their energy consumption that quickly. Overall consumption or load changes very steadily through the day. It's relatively predictable based on temperature and relative humidity. And if it's a Saturday versus a Wednesday, those types of, of factors make load prediction fairly straightforward and accurate. But when you add a bunch of renewables into the mix where the satellite information that's available uh, in terms of, you know, from weather modeling, uh, that data is uh, only updated every few hours. And you have to do a bunch of machine learning to uh, actually leverage that data and actually get some idea of the volatility and whether that solar is coming or going. What types of patterns are we seeing? Same with the wind speed and the wind farms. You can get very sudden losses of generation with these types of equipment. That's just the reality of solar and wind. And so when you're controlling a grid where you want to push the envelope and the cheapest way for you to get the generation you need is from these volatile sources... Uh, you have to have a system that comprehends all of that. So all around the world, 
grids are being optimized by system operators of different kinds. How does your system fit into that? Wartzilla's GEMS operating system for battery-centric systems is a system operator in a box for small and medium-sized grids. In large grids, we fit into those existing infrastructures by optimizing a smaller portfolio of assets. And so if you have a municipal utility who has some generation, they're growing in their renewables, and they also want a battery to hedge against the risk of the volatile market prices or the volatility of their own renewables, uh, then GEMS can optimize the dispatch of that group of assets in the same way where we optimize the dispatch of a group of assets at a mine or at an island nation. So we run economic dispatch, unit commitment, all of those core functions that a system operator does in a way that is really focused on that battery system optimizing its life and maximizing the renewable uh, generation uh, in that context in real time. So let me see if I got this right. The system that you're building is actually going to be a replacement for a lot of the human level decisions about how, how to optimize electricity systems. Yeah, that's correct. There, there are aspects of human replacement, but I would say that most of it turns into jobs that the humans aren't doing today. Like today, when you don't have very many renewables on your grid, you don't have an operator dedicated to managing the curtailment of that renewables and making sure that you don't have over-generation situations. And you don't have people who are studying the day ahead and saying, well, should we adjust the starting time of this engine by 10 minutes or an hour? It's all very well planned and laid out today. It's very clear in a day ahead sense, when are we going to need to turn on what? But as you get more and more renewables, there's a job that humans will have to do that they're not doing today. It's a job that is very prone to human error if you put a human in the position to do that job. And so we want to automate that. Everybody wants to automate that. It's a, it's a win-win for the existing plant operators as well as for us as a technology provider, because it enables the operator to do their job more effectively. It doesn't replace the fact that you will need an operator. You'll always need an electric grid operator, people who are keeping track of the automation and uh, advanced controls. Uh, but in the end, that person needs to have the input and all the data with quick processing and decision-making to facilitate and make sure that the right decisions get made every time. Because otherwise, you're, you end up leaving engines running for extra periods of time or shutting them off too soon and having risk uh, exposure in your grid operations. What are you able to do now that you couldn't have done five years ago? Five years ago, we were doing almost all of our control decisions based on simple rules, if-else statements. If the grid quality is going down, if frequency is collapsing, discharge some more power. Sort of very simple, we you know, droop types of functions. The next progression was a smart rules engine approach where based on a bunch of changing conditions, dynamically change what operations are running. So I would say that that would be a, an early phase AI type of approach, right? Whereas today... We're using linear programming and we have machine learning algorithms doing those different forecasting operations to synthesize all of that in one massive optimization problem for any given project's context, whether that's a project in a wholesale grid and those forecasts are price forecasts, or if that's 
a vertically integrated utility company of some kind where there's not market prices, but there's just fuel minimization. You know, you're just trying to maximize the renewables in that context. Either way, that problem boils down to the same problem in the end. And and the the software comprehends that and produces a a decision every every few minutes as it reoptimizes continuously. And that's not something we could do five years ago. Um, on these small grids, those types of optimization algorithms were reserved for the big grids of the world. They're very expensive. Only a few vendors for the different system operators of the world who were doing that kind of stuff. And our effort is really to democratize that optimization, get optimization to as many grids as possible that are on this path where previously they were controlling everything by hand because they could it was easy but now with renewables it is getting harder and they have a plan to add more renewables because it is the cheapest source of generation and the the operators need help they need automation in the same way that big grids need that automation and what's the dream of how we manage grids and where this fits into a fully decarbonized electricity system? I mean, how big can this go and what does the resource mix look like ideally? Obviously depends on the geography, the type of grid, but uh, what is the, the overall vision for this long term? To get the world off of fossil fuels, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's a progression. It's a path or a road towards 100% renewable energy. We are facilitating all of the little grids of the world to get to be the the leader in that space. So we control grids today that are pushing 65% renewable energy uh, in this context of very volatile renewables. There are, are some grids that are very high renewable penetration, like Iceland, for example. They run 100% renewables year-round, but that's because they have hydro and they have geothermal. And so it's a very different problem that we're solving. If you don't have big hydro and you don't have any geothermal access, the only way for you to get off of fossil fuels is with solar and wind. That's the cheapest option today. Uh, Our software lets you push that envelope and get closer to that 100%. And in the meantime, Wartzilla overall is advancing on alternative fuels research as well. Um, A big piece of the puzzle is when you have excess renewables, you curtail them, you clip them off. When there's nowhere to put them, your grid is already running on very high renewables and it's just a very windy day uh, and your batteries are already full. What do you do? You have to clip them. And that's uh, the uh, study after study shows that a world with 100% renewable energy consumption is going to have a lot of curtailment. We're going to be throwing a lot of extra energy away because you really benefit from oversizing that wind and solar uh, to capture more energy from it when the resource is weak, when it's a little bit cloudy, when it's not too windy. If you have a very big power plant, it's still going to produce a a reasonable amount of power. And when you're wasting all of that extra energy up top, the wheels should start turning in everybody's heads. Well, how can I use that? And the, the, the cheapest solution for our society, for humankind in the long run, is when we start taking all of that curtailed energy and generating synthetic fuels from it. We can generate synthetic methane, and it's a solar, wind-derived, carbon-free fuel, a carbon-neutral fuel, where we are taking that carbon right out of the air through processes that uh, are already technologically possible today, albeit a little bit expensive. And as those costs continue to decline, islands like the projects that we have around the world, take Graciosa, for example, where they have a diesel power plant with 
uh, that that is providing 35% of their energy from diesel fuel today. Uh, over time, they have so much curtailment and they can expand those renewables a little bit further that if they buy a piece of equipment 10 years from now that is cheap enough to generate fuel directly from those excess renewables, then they can push that envelope further and they'll start blending that synthetic fuel with their petroleum-based fuel and move that envelope further down the line to a point where eventually uh, they would be able to run 100% renewables year-round. We're having this conversation a couple of weeks after the catastrophic events in Texas, where huge swaths of the entire grid went down for days, sometimes over a week. And a lot of folks are focused on reliability, um, re-engineering the system, and how you do that to achieve a low carbon grid. And so this is very front of mind for people. How are you thinking about reliability in the context of the automation and the energy storage integration piece that we've been talking about? Electricity grids globally are typically in the position where they have underutilized assets. We have built these grids for the most part to handle the worst case scenario. And when electricity is not at that peak load level, all of these assets are underutilized. We have power plants that are sitting there off. We have transmission lines that aren't carrying their full amount of power. And overall, there's just a lot of inefficiency in our electricity grids globally. You look at Texas, where electricity prices are generally very cheap, and they've done a good job on that grid of of keeping electricity prices cheap. Uh, In the end, they were not prepared for uh, this type of situation. They hadn't invested enough in some of their key areas of, in, of infrastructure to handle that situation. And you can look at a place like California, and it's the opposite. They've, they have very high electricity prices, and they've, been, uh, they've also had reliability issues in their grid. So the question is, well, if it's not just a, a question of throwing money at the problem, because there's an example where we didn't throw enough money at the problem, and there's an example where we threw too much money at the problem, we still have the same issues. What does it come down to? And I think it comes down to lack of visibility in that controls and planning side of things. As we do grid planning, we run a bunch of simulations as a society. We, we have people who are doing a, a lot of grid modeling to plan for all the worst case scenarios you can possibly think of. And the reality is sometimes you, you miss one or, or you don't think that that's enough. Or, or even if your study shows it is a problem, which is what happened in Texas, where, where there are studies dating back to the 2011 issues that I clearly identified the issues at hand and that we should fix them. The reality is that if you don't have visibility that those problems are lingering, you forget about them. You get back to a point where the world is fine, my lights turn on, and then another event is going to come down the road. And we have to take the science of our simulations and actionable intelligence and say, okay, let's go do that. Let's put our investment here or there as we continue to try to optimize this this situation that we have where there's underutilized assets and lack of preparation in different places. And do you think that we will get to a more visible world? Software is eating the world. It's not just in the energy space. We have so much data visibility that we didn't have five, ten years ago, and it's growing. And I think that our software and these battery systems, which are focused on consuming that data and making the right choices in real time and providing feedback to operators, is one piece of that puzzle. It's giving the data visibility to the people that need it um, so that as grid quality starts to deteriorate or as 
issues start to pop up in your in the operational challenges that are being faced, uh, the data and visibility is there to fix those in real time. Let's hope that software and clean energy together can eat the world. That's right. Thank you so much, Luke. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. You have been listening to an episode produced by GTM Creative Strategies in collaboration with Vertilla. Vertilla creates smart, flexible power technologies to enable a cleaner grid and put the world on a path to 100% renewable energy. They're helping clients worldwide meet clean energy goals in an efficient and cost-effective way. To learn more about how Vertilla helped the island of Graciosa ramp up renewable energy and energy storage with its GEM software, follow the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening.